The following is a message by Professor Josh Van E. of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the coming of Jesus and in his work for us. And as we meditate and look uh, as, uh, as he revealed and, uh, and spoke to his disciples this morning, uh, that, uh, that you will uh, also speak through your word to us and uh, impress it upon our hearts uh, through the Spirit uh, and uh, encourage us. In this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We will uh, read from John chapter 13. And we'll uh, read the first 20 verses, uh, but our focus will really be on um, verses 5 through 11. So John chapter 13. Hear God's word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew that, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. John uh, chapter 13 is, uh, in many ways, the beginning of a new section. Um, It certainly introduces uh, this uh, long discourse that, uh, that Jesus has with his disciples. And, uh, and some have even gone so far looking in verses 1 through 3 and seeing various ties with the prologue of John. Um, and, uh, and you can uh, certainly, I think, there's something to explore there. But our focus is really on this washing of the feet and more so, you could say, the dialogue with Peter. What is going on there? So, we have dinner, Jesus gets up, he puts off his cloak, he wraps this towel around himself, pours some water, and begins to wash his disciples' feet, dry them with the towel. And we're not told right away how the disciples act, how they react to this. But it seems safe to assume that they're somewhat shocked. Maybe not even somewhat. They're very shocked. They're dumbfounded. They don't know what to do. Now, foot washing, it's not a shocking thing in itself. People wore sandals back then. And when you walked around, you got your feet dirty. They at least would be dusty from the road. But... It wasn't only people who went on these roads. There were also camels and oxen and horses and everything that they leave behind on these roads. Uh, and, uh, and so that could be there, too. Um, and in a city, the city wasn't necessarily the cleanest place. We think of sewers and what we have. Well, sometimes that was all in the street, Um, And so who knows what got on your feet. And so it was common to wash your feet when you went into a house. Um, And uh, and often it was the host who would provide that water for you, and uh, and even sometimes a servant would assist in that. But what never happened was the superior washing the feet of an inferior. The one of higher social status never washed the feet of someone of lower social status. And so the disciples are speechless. Their mouths fall open at this spectacle. Their Lord, their teacher, he has taken upon himself this menial menial task, this degrading task, even. But, of course, Peter is never speechless. He's the one who can come up with something to say. 
And, uh, and so his statement really brings out this disbelief that probably was there with most of the disciples. And uh, uh, in verse 6, his, his statement there, uh, it's interesting in the Greek. I don't say the Greek's too interesting too often, so I should say it. Um, but it's interesting there because it puts the two pronouns right together. Uh, so if we translate it by word order, it has, Lord, you... My wash feet. Um, this can't be together. You, my, this doesn't fit. There's an impossibility here. How can this really be happening? Are you going to wash my feet? And our Lord is patient with Peter. He responds there in verse 7. What I'm doing you do not know. But you will. You will understand this after these things. Well, for Peter, that's not enough. And so we have verse 8. He really makes explicit what was implied in his question earlier. No way. No. You will never, ever wash my feet. This is not going to happen. Why was Peter opposed to this? Why didn't he want Jesus to wash his feet? And uh, to say again, it's probably what most of the other disciples were thinking too. So were were his motives good or pure? Can we put a good light to them? That uh, he's trying to defend Jesus' honor. He's uh, he's, uh, seen some humility in himself that... uh, Um, that he's not worthy of Jesus serving him in this way. Uh, Maybe to some degree, but I think we need to go farther than that, that it's appropriate to go farther than that. Jesus was not being a good Messiah according to Peter's expectations. This didn't fit what he thought a Messiah should do. No, no, Jesus, you're getting it all wrong. Messiahs don't wash the servants' feet. And in this, commentators have sometimes compared this passage with Peter's rebuke of Jesus right after Jesus says he must suffer and die. And Peter says, no, no, you got it all wrong. What is Peter doing here? He's very much stumbling over the cross. The scandal of what the Messiah would do. What he had to do. What his work was. And so how does Jesus respond? Well, we get that in verse 8 there. And in many ways, he responds with the gospel. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. I think it's important to notice he doesn't mention feet. We have just wash. And uh, he's no longer speaking just about this present, but about his saving action. There is a necessity. Peter, if you reject the cross, if you reject that type of Messiah, then you can have no part in me and in my kingdom. 
I don't think Peter fully gets it yet then. Peter, he then responds. But I think his response really shows what Jesus has said. You're not going to get it now. You won't understand it. You'll get it later. And his response brings that out. Uh, Because he changes. He doesn't quite get what Jesus is saying. He thinks it has to still do with this present washing. And if this washing is needed to be included with Jesus, well, then I'm all in, Peter says. Don't just do my feet, my hands, my head. Give me a whole bath. If this is about me identifying with you, I'm ready. I'm there. And I think we could see in many ways a parallel to what he has at the end of this chapter. Where he says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. I'm all in, Peter says. But in that he still is trying to switch these roles. That he wants this to be a show of his dedication, his love to Jesus, and not the opposite. Jesus' love to him. So Jesus restrains him. He says, that's not what is needed now. That's not what's going on here. Verse 10, the one who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. His whole body's clean. And many would argue here the imagery is that of if you've taken a bath and then you go to the friend's house, you've only gotten your feet dirty. You've only walked in the streets. But I think there's a better way to probably read this. And I think it fits better with what Peter says. Uh, and that's to read it not just speaking of regular cleanliness here, but, but ritual cleanliness. Uh, in, uh, uh, as the Jews would have celebrated for Passover, been, as they prepared to celebrate it, uh, they would have been worried about their ritual purity. And they would have wanted to be clean. And no matter what defilement they had, that procedure for ritual purity always involved a bath. Uh, It always involved bathing. And we can read about that in the book of Leviticus, where it lines those out, the different impurities you can have and what you needed to do to become ritually clean. And the Jews had added some rites to these. Uh, that uh, it's clear they added rites involving hand washings, um, and probably there were also those that involved feet, um, because it certainly was true of the priests, it's told in the Old Testament, they have to undergo these feet washings sometimes, and so it was probably broadened to the uh, to everybody, as that even if they'd already undergone the bath, even if they'd already become ritual clean in that, um, they probably were required to wash their feet to be ritually clean. And I would say that that's probably what Peter's kind of identifying here. He's taking Jesus' washing as some supplementary right in that, for him to be able to partake in Jesus. This is what needs to happen. So I'm ready. I'm all in. Let's, let's do everything. But Jesus says, no, 
This isn't, right, the one who's already taken the bath. What does he need? He just needs his feet to be washed. Um, We don't need your hands. We don't need your head. Now, what is confusing about this passage, or most perplexing, is that there really are two types of cleansing or cleaning being spoken of and how to relate them or to keep them distinct. For Jesus here at at the end, there in verse 10, he says that they're all clean. As he's talking to Peter, right? You're all clean, it's just the feet. But then he goes on and he says, ah, but not all of you are clean. Uh, For he already knows that Judas will betray him. And so he's talking about cleansing in a different way, a different layer. And so these two layers are that, on the one hand, Jesus is washing feet. He's washing their feet, and he's saying, the one who's already taken a bath, what does he need? He only needs his feet to be washed, and he'll be ritually pure. On the other hand, he had already told Peter, that unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And this last part here, as he says, you're all clean except not Judas. And this washing seems to be referring to something much more than ritual purity, but of actual regeneration, new birth, um, the work uh, to become a follower of Christ. And there are many who tie these together as they look at this passage. They tie these two layers together. They argue that Jesus is saying that he has washed them all, that they're all born again, except for Judas. And so since they've already been born again, had that bath, all they need now is the foot washing. And so commentators who do this argue that the foot washing symbolizes perhaps continual um, confession of sin that we need daily, uh, forgiveness we ask in the Lord's Prayer uh, as we daily ask that, um, or something similar to that. Um, But I don't think that's the best way to go. I think it's better to keep these two distinct. Jesus is using this outward washing to do what? To show the nature of his mission. To love his own to the end, to the uttermost. He lays down his life as he laid down his garment to take it up again as he took up his garment. The foot washing, what was it? It was a scandal. It was a scandal for Peter. A stumbling block like the cross would be to many. But unless we are washed, right, unless we embrace the cross, we have no part in him. But he also uses this outer washing, and this gets into the verses beyond our text, to do something else. It's an example. He emphasizes that The disciples, that 
we, all of you, I, that we're no better than our Lord. We're no better than our teacher, no better than our Savior. Jesus is doing this to throw all of our earthly conceptions about status into disarray. All of our ideas about society, social standing, how they should work. Jesus throws that all out. Jesus is giving an example for his church of how his church is to act, his church is to be. His church is not a country club. His church doesn't operate on those rules. Instead, they are to follow the example of their Lord. And this is again where we can come to the end of this chapter, where he gives the new commandment as he continues on in this. And what is the new commandment? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The newness is Jesus' example that throws everything else into disarray, breaks the preconceptions that we have, and creates this community in which we don't approach each other based on status based on social setting, but we approach each other loving as Christ has loved us. And so, in conclusion, may, may we not stumble over his cross, over the humiliation, the service, the love that he showed to us in it, and may that love propel us on to love one another. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are selfish, we are prideful, we boast too much. May all of that be stripped off of us as we look to you, as we look to your love. May you comfort us with that knowing it it is not what's in us, that you loved us, your enemies. And may we we be able to show that love to our brothers and sisters in, in the church, and then also as we spread that gospel to this world round about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.